one of the things I've noticed through the years is that uh, not just in myself, but in working with other creatives is that creatives need one another. They need to be able to bounce ideas off someone else and go, am I crazy for thinking this? Or is this really a great idea? I don't know about you, but there are so many times in my creative career as a storyteller that I find myself guilty of not collaborating as often as I should. Sometimes our role requires it. Maybe you work at a company or agency or organization where every single project is collaborative because that's how your job works. Or maybe, like me, you spend years as a freelance artist or speaker or performer of some kind doing some kind of creative work, and for the most part, we're just a one-man show. But what might be possible through your work if you are to collaborate more often? And if you're already collaborating by necessity, what if there's more to learn in order to collaborate more effectively? This week, we discussed that and so much more. It's another special episode and one of my favorite guests we've ever had on the show. I am Harris III, and this is The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. My friend Alan Clark joined in on this week's conversation. If his name seems familiar, you may remember him as the legendary photographer from a recent episode where Sammy Harvey and I interviewed him. This week, Alan joined me on the other side of the mic for an interview with another legendary Nashville creator and storyteller, Scott McDaniel. At the end of the day, just a creative trying to work out the art process of uh, creating work that is... Uh, standalone um, uh, work that answers all the questions uh, and work that is, you know, tied to everything visually, you know, related from the different forms of medium that we have, whether it's uh, photography, film, video, design. Um, I kind of joke that a lot of times I'm an art monkey that got let out of the cage and, you know, I get to have a biscuit today, you know, cause I'm out <laughs> of the cage, cause I'm usually under the gun, but, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, just, uh, just a creative trying to work through, I think telling the story of not just my art, but I think other people's art, um, my part, I guess the great, the, when I look back on kind of the work I've done up to this point, uh, it seems like I've been alongside a lot of creatives and helping them kind of work through their process and trying to um, execute a great idea. You know, people have great ideas all the time, but the ones that are really great and stand alone are the ones that are actually executed upon and delivered upon. So uh, for me, it's trying to, to work that out.
Scott McDaniel currently serves as Vice President of Creative for the Nashville Convention and Visitors Corporation, overseeing the creative team facilitating visual art for the city of Nashville. It's a new role for him, and he is totally crushing it. And that's no surprise, because his new role is on the heels of 20 years' experience in creating visual art within the entertainment industry. He recently led Sony Music Nashville creative team, overseeing artist imaging, album packaging, photography, design, and video production for the label group's recording imprints, Arista, Columbia, and RCA Records. Working with established icons like Kenny Chesney, Miranda Lambert, Brad Paisley, Carrie Underwood, to new and developing breakout artists like Old Dominion and Marin Morris, Scott knows the craft of visual storytelling. He's personally crewed over 100 films, videos, and has helped facilitate over 350 photo sessions for multiple genre artists, brands, and celebrities. On top of that, he has commissioned over 400 music videos and long-form films to award-winning film directors between country, rock, gospel, and Christian formats. His experience includes both film and video creative director and producer credits for live concert performance music films, feature-length films, documentaries, and music videos. <laughs> In other words, he's done a lot of work, and it's great work. As Scott said, people have great ideas all the time, but the ones that stand alone are the ones that get executed. I mean, 350 photo sessions, over 400 music videos. I think one of the differences between Scott and so many other artists is clearly the ability to execute, to not just be creative and do great work, but to do a lot of it. His unique ability to come alongside other artists and collaborate to lead projects across the finish line is special. And that's where we began our conversation. I was curious if he agreed with the idea of that being one of his strengths. Maybe. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a collaborative process. I think a lot of people think that uh, the creative process is, you know, just one person coming up with an idea. Uh, in my experience, the the ideas that and the stories that seem to hold up a little better than others are the ones where you've had, you know, 12, 13 people speaking into the process and weighing into it, you know, and, and having that sort of, um, vigorous debate and, uh, focused dialogue to try and get to like, what are we really trying to do? How are we trying to get there? How are we trying to tell a story? How are we, you know, what, what do we want to do to evoke that, that mood? Why are we using that color? I mean, you just get into all these sort of deep, you know, um, conversations, which, uh, you know, it's just, it's just part of the process. But if you don't have that dialogue, then you don't really end up with ideas that kind of move people or make people stop and pay attention. Uh, if that if that makes any sense, totally. All right, let's go back to the very beginning then. All right, where are you from? I'm from uh, Louisiana, born in Baton Rouge, grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is the heart of Cajun country, birthplace of Zydeco. Uh, I don't sound Cajun at all. Lafayette <laughs> is the what capital of the world? You know, they've got capitals for everything down there. Uh, I guess it would be just um, you know, I guess the heart of Cajun country. I mean, I don't know if it's really a capital of any, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's, you know, Acadia, it's where the, you know, uh, Acadians settled after they were kind of kicked out of Canada and forced to come around and why they didn't like settle, stop somewhere sooner. And they went all the way around Florida and up the Gulf is, is a mystery, but, uh, glad they did because what happened was this, um, incredible birthplace, uh, took place of, um, music and food and culture and it's just like if you know it's 
if anything, we know how to uh, have a good time in Louisiana. <laughs> I'm craving some so, boudin. Yeah, I'm craving yeah, boudin yeah, just hearing yeah, you talk oh, about yeah, it. Yeah, man. Some good good boudin gumbo. Uh, Love it. Uh, <laughs> hey, could you hit the pause button? Let's go get some right now. <laughs> <laughs> so take me through your journey to becoming an artist then. So you're growing up in Louisiana. Was there was there an experience that you had that were you exposed to some sort of art or was there a story that was told to you at some point that you're like, man, I've I got to do that myself. Yeah, well, I think uh, the first thing that captured my attention, uh, you know, I was three and a half years old, and my mom took me to see Star Wars, and like like many uh, creatives, uh, three and a half. Yeah, I remember vividly. We got really? there late. Yeah, we got there late. It was one of the old school theaters where everybody had to come in from the front, and then everybody had to leave out the back, and so they basically just would show the film like right after each, you know. And um, and I remember walking in when. Uh, Vader was choking uh, Captain Antilles and you know it was like I just was enamored and my mom said that I sat on the edge of my seat for you know two hours the first time I'd ever done that and uh, I just remember I just remember that clear as a bell and um, you know as a kid you love that later on actually Star Wars really was a creative influence for me I think just in how they problem solved stuff you know I mean you know, the chest plate that Vader wears was like made out of wood, you know, and, and just those sort of things where they had to, they had to force themselves to come up with ways to solve problems. Um, that was probably the first thing that kind of captured my imagination, but I was always the kid playing with Legos. I was always, uh, drawing or building something or using my hands to create, you know, um, you know, whatever painting, um, you know, just, uh, pieces of art. Uh, and, um, and that, you know, I never really did the art class circuit, you know, like there's a lot of people that, that really grow through that. Um, in college, I ended up studying uh, art specifically just to kind of learn more about the, the history of it. Um, but that, that whole process kind of just, um, I think, really came to a head trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life when I was a, you know, senior in college. And uh, I went to... Um, uh, the place I was working at the time, uh, I went to the the head guy there and, you know, I was that like frustrated senior trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with my life? And, uh, and I just, um, you know, I said, you know, man, I have a, a heart for music. I don't like write or, you know, play anything, uh, but it's definitely the language of the soul. And, and, uh, I love the, the power of music and, um, you know, I'm a creative, I'm, you know, constantly building and making stuff with my hands and, and drawing. And it's like, you know, I don't want to waste my life, you know, trying to figure out like what I'm going to do or what I want to be when I grow up. And, uh, he said, Scott, every position that's out there that you could ever hope or dream to have is going to become vacant one day. He's like, I'm not always going to be the guy sitting in this chair. And so in life, you're going to be presented the opportunities of, of empty chairs that are presented before you. And you have to ask yourself, how are you making yourself ready to sit in that empty chair? Cause the opportunities are going to come it's more a question of, are you ready for them? Have you made yourself ready for them? And in a weird way that took the pressure off of like, okay, I don't have to find that one job or that one thing that I have to do. Um, and it allowed me the freedom to kind of just look at the, the journey and the process of it as more of a, it's one step at a time versus it's just like, you just find the one thing, get there and then go. And, um, and that led to, uh, an opportunity to, of all things, there was an upstart television network that was getting started and, uh, they were looking for, um, young creatives who knew film and video and, and, uh, they, they literally gave me a shot, threw me in the deep end and, 
I was immersed in the world of video editing and, and, um, you know, um, and learned, you know, uh, how to cut on an Avid and, you know, what, what the difference was between beta and D beta, you know, and, 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 you know, the birth of digital, you know, tape. And Al, uh, Alan knows what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. These are all old <laughs> terms that we don't use anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like film. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And that old process film too. But that, that, um, that, um, opportunity that was presented gave me a chance to, uh, kind of, um, find the first job that helped kind of answer all those questions. And it was a chance to do design and do uh, film and video work and learn that. And, and that's what got me to Nashville. And, um, and then from there, uh, just basically, um, uh, continued to hone that craft, ended up working at a, um, film company, then worked at a magazine company where I had a chance to do photo shoots and lay out magazines every day. And I uh, did that for about a year. And then of all things, uh, a friend of mine asked me if I was interested to work at a record label. And uh, I was kind of like, that's kind of like working for the federal government, man. I don't know if I want to do that, you know? And, uh, why, and, why do you say that? Well, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, they're just, they're, they're just the evil monger, you know, they're just the, 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 like the vulture that has their claws in you, you know, you, you talk to musicians and they're just like, you know, they're like, Oh, I hate that I have this record label. They're just always making me do this or telling me to do that. And even though it's the thing they dream about getting, yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, it's like funny. It just kind of has that, I don't know. It just kind of has that vibe. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, yeah, so then I got an opportunity to work at a record label and it was a small boutique record label that was in Franklin, Tennessee. And, uh, and it was Forefront Records, and then they got you know bought by EMI, and so it was a great season because um, it really was the first time that I had a chance to kind of leverage and use everything that I've been told about you know just years earlier. And in fact, when I when I was doing the interview with the job for the job, um, I said, "Well, man, what are you guys like really looking for for like this creative director position?" and uh, uh, David Bach, who is the, you know, VP of A&R and we're having this lunch and he's like, well, we need somebody who, you know, uh, loves music, um, is creative, understands film and video and, uh, knows design and production and has overseen photo shoots and laid out like, you know, magazine, like production work. And, and, uh, he's like rattling off the last five years of my life. And then he ends, he ends up, uh, the, by saying, uh, you know, and he's like, just to be honest with you, Scott, he's like, I just don't know if we're going to find anybody to sit in the empty chair that we have. And I was like, wait, what'd you say? And he said, you know, like just the vacancy, the empty seat. And I was like, okay, maybe I need <laughs> seriously? to, seriously, seriously. Yeah. And no, I was like, maybe crazy. I need to look at this a little closer. Cause I was just kind of like, Hey man, here's my portfolio. Here's my work. If y'all want to hire me, great. If not, I'm not really interested to work at a record label. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, uh, they ended up, uh, offering me the gig and, uh, and it was great. Cause again, it was like a season of first, you know, having a chance to work with, um, you know, platinum and double platinum and, you know, um, gold selling, you know, recording artist and, uh, and then to be within the larger EMI system, you know, and learn, learn more about like what a corporate record label, you know, is all about. And then from there, uh, just did freelance stuff for a while and, um, and got sucked back into the land of label, uh, and spent just recently nine years at Sony music Nashville and, uh, which was all country music. And, um, uh, that, that has been by far one of the hallmark work experiences of my career. Very, very humbling to get a chance to back to what you were saying earlier, as far as working alongside, um, artists who have, uh, you know, 
have left a mark on music and, um, uh, you know, written the types of songs that you, you know, you, um, timestamp your life to, you know, it's uh, been, uh, been an incredible experience and, uh, yeah, I look forward to, we can talk through a lot, a lot of that more. Yeah. So. It sounds like, so at, during your freelance days, I mean, you were, you said you guys started doing video and editing, but then you were shooting photos and laying out print magazines. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've worked across a huge wide variety of mediums. Yeah. Was there one that you always felt you were gravitating towards? Like that's the special one. Or have you just been the kind of guy that's like, oh, I just love it all equally? Yeah, I love it all equally. Um, you know, my first job was working at a comic book shop, and um, I, uh, I always joke I'm kind of like one of those weird artistic creative mutants that just kind of like likes it all. Like I don't, you know, that I, I definitely appreciate and respect, you know, people like such as Alan, who's like, hey, I'm a photographer and this is what I do, you know, and and they own that space. Uh, I've always kind of been. Um, uh, enamored and love the idea of kind of jumping back and forth between everything. I'm not a photographer. I'm not going to claim to be that. I mean, I've, I've, um, taken photos, but I wouldn't at all describe myself that way. Uh, you know, um, I've had an opportunity to direct some things, but I'm not going to say I'm a director. If anything, I'm more of a, more of a creative producer, you know, trying to put all the pieces together to try and help, you know, like what I was saying earlier, like deliver on the idea, you know? Have you felt any pressure to, because so much of the advice that I hear in our culture is like, you know, don't be a jack of all trades, like pick something and master it. I think I may may have said that too. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like you're an example of the type of person who can provide a little bit of pushback towards that? Maybe. I mean, you know, I think you, as a creative, as a storyteller, you're, you got to go with what, with what moves you and what, you know, what kind of comes your way. I mean, you know, it's like, um, and so I was always trying to kind of, I guess, push the envelope and lick it shut in a way. Um, I remember hearing that when the guys made the Macintosh computer, they supposedly put the words beyond potential on the wall because they were trying to make a PC cool and hip and uh, make it functional. And, and, you know, now we all know what Apple is and what it's become. Uh, so for me, I'd kind of adopted that. Like, okay, if I'm going to, if, if I have, um, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all gifted and blessed with a creative skill set, And it's like, if you have that and if you've been given that, you know, it's like, don't waste it, don't throw it away and try, how, how can, how can I get better at what I do? And if that's helping lay out a magazine for a while, if that's helping, you know, figure out the details of a photo shoot and what's the best way to communicate and evoke a vibe that like, you know, an artist is saying, well, the record kind of sounds like this. And then we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what's it going to look like? Um, you know, it's that constant pursuit of excellence, you know, good's the enemy of great, that kind of thing. So. And what are you doing now? Well, I got sucked away from a record <laughs> label, um, through, uh, of all things, uh, this program called leadership music, which, uh, you guys can, you know, I guess look at it online and learn more about it. Um, but it's essentially, um, they, they, pull together different aspects of the music industry in town, all different facets from publishing to songwriting to management to touring, booking. And um, and I met uh, Dina Ivey, who's the chief marketing officer for the Nashville Convention and Visitors Corporation. And uh, she asked me if I would want to come work for the NCVC, which is uh, essentially the for lack of a better term, uh, ad agency for the city of Nashville. So um, the team I serve with now, 
we run point on creative for the city of Nashville to try and promote Nashville, tell the story of Nashville. And, uh, it's a very, uh, it's a very humbling, <laughs> um, experience because there are so many great, uh, storytellers and musicians who live here and Nashville has such a re you know, rich and storied history that it's like to be entrusted with communicating and telling that story specifically visually, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge honor. So, so what I'm doing now is, is working for the city of Nashville, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it. <laughs> so what is, what is the story of Nashville? Well, <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a few minutes, that's so. totally, the guitar starts playing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a long story. Um, yeah. There's several songs and movies that have been written about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Could, well, let me ask you this question. Do you, do you, like we're known as Music City. I'm obviously biased towards Nashville because I live here. I've been a resident for 12 years. I'm from the state of Tennessee. Um, but is could Music City also be called Story City? Sure, because, uh, you know, storytelling is really the heart of songwriting, and songwriting is really, you know, kind of the... Um, the soul of this town, you know, I mean, it's like the best songwriters in the world live here. And what they're doing is they're trying to tell, tell truth, which is really what story is all about. So in a way it is, it is very much, I think, uh, a city of story, city of songwriting, uh, a city of, uh, of truth and, a, and a, it's all intertwined and interconnected for sure. So if you were to zoom back and look at the, what, couple hundred year long story of Nashville, is there like a, What's the through line? Well, I mean, I guess just starting with the on the musical side of things, I think you have to start with like the Fisk Jubilee Singers um, and the 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 you know hundred and they think they just celebrated their hundred fifty fifty first fifty second um, year of um, really crafting you know music and starting that whole journey of what you know what Nashville's become known for on the music side of things. I think you would probably start there with those guys and. Um, go from there to help kind of tell the story of Nashville and where, where it kind of grew and developed. And the, uh, the NCVC put out a documentary several years ago, uh, called, you know, for the love of music. And it's basically the story of Nashville and, uh, you can check it out online. It's, uh, it's well worth the, the 45 minutes, um, just to see the, the dichotomy of musicians that are here and, and who's here and why they're here, and what draws them here. Uh, what makes them want to create and kind of, I think um, everybody's kind of pushing themselves to be better and Nashville seems to be a great, safe, communal place to do that, you know, yeah. where you're trying to push each other's, you know, art to uh, take it to a higher place. So if, if, if someone watches that 45 minute documentary about the story of Nashville, what's the, what would they be surprised by, by the end of it? Uh, I think one of the things that Nashville owns is authenticity. So I think they would be surprised with how authentic and real Nashville is. Um, and, um, that, that seems to be a bedrock of who we are and what we're about. So, um, I think that's probably one of the first things that would be surprising that, you know, at any given moment, you literally could walk into, you know, some place and it's like, Oh, there's such and such up on stage, you know, playing and then, or somebody plays a song and then you find out they wrote that song and you're like, what, you know? So there's, there's that sort of, uh, community that's here. That's not necessarily in other city. It's a weird way. It's very competitive, but everybody's kind of wanting, everybody's cheering each other on at the same time. Hmm. You know, everybody wants everybody to win, which is a very, you know, in, in the real world scope of things, that's not really the way it operates everywhere else. You know, everywhere else, it's very cutthroat, you know. Um, 
I went to one city one time and I was just kind of like, uh, asking, I was like, so, you know, like, what do you do? And, and, uh, and they were like, why do you want to know? Do you want my job? And I was like, no, I just wanted to know like what you want to do. <laughs> or like, what do you do? And like, you know, I'm not trying to take your job or anything. So, uh, yeah. So whereas in Nashville, you know, it's like everybody wants to really know like what you're doing and how you're doing it and how they can in a weird way, figure out a way to help you out, which is just so strange and unique to Nashville. Mm. So I think that's, I think that'd be one of the things that you kind of walk away going like, wow, they actually want to, th those two musicians actually want to work together. Or those two people actually want to help each other. Like there's, they're competitors. Why would they do that? You know? So I think that's one of the, I think that, that would be one of the surprises that people would walk away with. Um, and now I think the food is really, you know, I mean, you know, being from Louisiana and first coming to town, it was very bland. Mm. Uh, there was no spice, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and now that that's completely changed. I mean, Nashville has definitely got a, a food scene going on and, uh, some really great, great talented, um, you know, food artisans that are, that are hard after it, you know, trying to like, you know, change the game. And, and I think they have, I mean, I mean, and then, you know, hot chicken. I mean, how can you go wrong with hot chicken in Nashville? <laughs> can you hit the pause button? Let's go get some of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The food's on your mind a lot today. <laughs> yeah, what is the deal? <laughs> and he came in with a bag of donuts or something, right? It was a croissant. Uh, <laughs> Scott isn't the first person to use the word authenticity as a character trait when describing the city of Nashville. But what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that other cities apply a little bit too much polish to their art? And is everything so glossy that it doesn't seem real or believable? Do the stories coming out of Nashville and the artists who tell them apply a little less polish before releasing their art into the world than artists in other cities have a tendency to do? Yeah, I don't know if I would describe it as less polished because I don't think any I don't think anyone here is holding anything back. I think they I think people are probably more comfortable with um, just letting it go. You know, it's like they create and they put it out there and it's like this is what it is, but as they're creating it, it's not like it's not done in a sloppy manner. It's it's yeah. very like uh, I guess maybe by polish. Yeah, maybe polish isn't the best word. Like it's it doesn't have that like fake veneer on it that totally. makes it look perfect and pretty. And like yeah. we have no problems. Everything's beautiful. And yeah. look how awesome my life is. And yeah. there's some grit to Nashville, I guess. Absolutely. And I think that gets back to the whole the truth part of the storytelling. It's like the you know songwriters are looking for truth. They're really looking for that, and they're going to communicate that. And sometimes truth is hard to hear. Uh, because you, you know, you don't like it, but, you, but at the end of the day, we all want it. I mean, we all want people to like shoot us straight, um, you know, give us the straight talk, they don't, you know, to your point where they don't want to be, uh, you know, um, given doses of like, you know, sugar candy, coated, yeah. you know, um, veneer covered, you know, or maybe sometimes the stories we tell don't even contain the truth yet. It's a story about the pain of searching for the truth that is still mm. feels like it's out of reach. It's like, but they want it and they're yeah. chasing it. It's just like, ah, oh, I haven't found it yet, but yeah. I'm trying hard. Yeah, and they're pursuing it with excellence. I think that would be the yeah. distinctive for sure. You know, what's interesting is that, and I'm because I'm from here and I've lived here my whole life, you see artists that have come here throughout time and it's, whether it's Elvis Costello, Bob Dylan, um, anybody, they will come here and they will spend time here because they have to. They have to uh, get to that place, you know. Mm. I mean, just even recently, Lady Gaga came to, came here to to um, uh, get with some songwriters, and then she ended up with uh, some incredible songs. But they, it seems like everyone has to come here when they, like you said, they have to get to that 
that place, that search for the truth and stuff like that. They will inevitably end up here mm-hmm. somehow, some way. It doesn't matter what type of artist they are. I mean, Lottie Gaga is a lot different than Bob Dylan, you know, and then the country is different than Christian, and Christian is different than this and that. And so there's, it's like a pilgrimage sort of. People come mm-hmm. here and end up here. And so I think a lot of, for Nashvilleans, we don't really realize how rich our city really is because we don't know what it's like in other cities and don't have a really good view of it. Like you said, when you go to the other city and you were thinking they, somebody, <laughs> they, they yeah. want you wanted somebody's job, you know, yeah. and it's just not like that here. Yeah. Know? Do you have a chance to talk to other people who work in creative industries like New York, LA, Atlanta? Do you get to talk to them when they move here? Yeah, you hear them they, talk about they the differences. Uh, they're, what do they say? they're blown away by just the sheer again the the communal aspect of everybody kind of cheering everybody on and everybody wanting to help each other out because that's just such a foreign idea. I mean, maybe that's changed a little bit thanks to social media and networking and people are can can connect with others quicker than they used to be able to. Um, so maybe it's not quite as bad, but even that has a has a level of. Um, um, unauthenticity sometimes because it's there's there's like a digital interface you know whereas here um you really connect face to face with people and uh have those you know have those relationships and 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 in talking through the art they they're like wow you you called your competitor to talk about like how you're gonna go about doing this project and it's like well yeah because it's we're trying to figure out like what's been done before or what has not been done before. How do we make sure we don't emulate what someone else is doing? Cause we're trying to create something that's unique and distinctive. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it, it is. Um, I think, I think most, most conversations I've had in that regard, people come away being inspired or just kind of like taken aback by the fact that that sort of um, community exists here from a creative standpoint. Yeah. I love it. So knowing that your career has been so multifaceted, you've been done so much, um, is your creative process kind of stayed the same consistently from role to role or is it is it different now in the role that you're in compared to when you were you know overseeing a music video production or right it's there are there are parts of it that are exactly the same it's like riding a bike you know working at EMI you know I was only working with 8 to 10 artists um and with Sony when I first started there were four label imprints and 40 acts and uh, you know, so that it was, this, the process was still the same, but the volume changed and, um, there, there are parts of it that are the same, but, but throughout all of that, the, the other adage that's going on is that you're growing and learning as you go. So it's like the next time you do, you know, you oversee a music video or you oversee a photo shoot, or you're dealing with another creative, or you're trying to help answer a question of how you could pull something off. You have experience to pull from to go, well, I did it that way before and it didn't quite turn out the way we all thought it was going to, so let's try it this way. Or is there a different way to, to go about it, which is what I was talking about earlier as far as having 12 to 13 people speaking into a process. It's harder work. It makes it much harder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be very easy to just kind of go, ah, oh, we should just do this and and you know, we'll, we'll make the decision and you guys listen to what we're going to, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't yield the same type of... Um, art and the same sort of, uh, response. And, you know, sometimes it works sometimes, but, but, you know, it, it, in my experience, you're going to have something that's going to last, you know, um, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to, um, cause people to stand up and pay attention when you've had more people weigh into it because they, it's, it's just stronger. The art's stronger. It's, it's like, it's weathered the critique in the storm of people, you know, before it even goes out to be seen, if that makes sense. 
So in leaving a mark, you talk a lot about that and just going alongside other creatives. What is something that you can remember just from your early days at Forefront? Like what, what, what is something that you're really proud of? Something that you really, really loved working on? Well, um, that kind of gets into the, uh, how do you define success or what's, you know, what's, you know, yeah. Like you said, left. I love that question. Yeah. It's, um, for me specifically at Forefront, uh, there's, uh, an artist, uh, um, Toby Mack, who is part of DC talk. And, um, two years after we finished his solo record. So it was, uh, I think it was called momentum. Uh, he, uh, he calls me out of the blue and, um, he's like, Hey man, I was just was like looking at the art packaging again for the momentum record. And I was like, yeah. And I was, I was almost anticipating the, like, we totally forgot to put this in there or we left somebody's name out or whatever. And, uh, he said, man, this really, this really is the record. He's like, I'm really proud of this. And, uh, it just kind of took me aback because to me that was, you know, at the end of the day, when you're working with a, a musical artist and they're trying to create something, you know, they, they, they have created a sonic, you know, um, sound and a story and you're trying to match the visuals for that to get it to where it needs to be. Um, you know, that ultimately when they, when they look back on it, they're like, yeah, this, this matches the, this matches the record, you know, this is exactly what I wanted. Um, so that's one specific, one specific thing that happened at forefront. I mean, of course, you know, Toby and I had a lot of long, hard, debates over color and uh <laughs> and it was great because it was you know iron sharpening iron i think and uh, uh but at the end of it you know he's like um you know what's what's really important is you know um you know there, there's more to life than music you know he would talk about a lot you know and so um at the end of the day it was great to argue and debate color but you know we knew there was a you know a, a bigger story at play so that kind of um was always an encouraging thing, you know, and, and I think it's being able to work with artists, you know, I mean, hand in hand, you know, kind of like, you know, um, rolling up your sleeves and getting after it, trying to, trying to deliver on an idea. Debate color. What, what do you mean color? Like we debate color on like a, like a CD plate, you know, he'd be like, man, dude, I want to go, you know, fuchsia green, you know, I'd be like, I don't know, man, hot pink is the color. You're going to want hot pink, you know? So, uh, it was that, it was those types of debates on like, you know, what, what color best visually represents what's been created sonically. How much of that was driven by art versus being driven by commerce of you being the voice of reason in the artist's head going, I get it. That's the best color for art's sake, but that's not going to sell on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a daily conversation. That's why I was saying earlier about the dialogue being so important because if you can't talk and you can't work through those things, then you can't really you know, you're, you're just going to end up kind of button heads and not being able to make sure all sides of a story or perspective are, are valued and weighed so that you end up with the best end result. Uh, some artists get that. Some artists understand that, uh, you know, they get that, you know, Hey, this is art. that's you know, not going to be hanging in a gallery. I mean, it's, it's commercial art. You're selling something. And then other artists uh, really, really have a hard time with it and they struggle with it. And it's all about the art and art should, you know, take first priority. Um, so that's which, a, that's which a good, maybe record labels don't They're like, we're, we're here to help you sell some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It was, I mean, I, I think the debate came around more about, 
photos and what sort of image was going to be picked and what, you know, um, you know, is it, is it the pensive artist? Is it the happy artist? Is it the, uh, you know, chopping off the, you know, part of the artist's face on the cover? I mean, that sort of thing, you know. Is it palatable? Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I would imagine that question came up a lot. A few times. Is this safe? Yeah, yeah, a few times. Yeah. Yeah, should, should, should this artist wear a cowboy hat or should they not wear a cowboy hat? You know, Well, a big debate used to be, um, just you know, having an artist on the actual cover of anything versus having artwork, they would mm-hmm. want a new artist to be on the cover, and they would you know, and they were like, "Nah, that's something you do on your third record." Not you know, then stuff like that because they have to establish who you are and what you look like at the same time. Your, yeah. your music and then the connection visually mm-hmm. to that because I knew a lot of artists when we were working back then just didn't you know they had the songs were there they were having you know number ones and stuff like that but nobody knew what they looked like mm-hmm. and so they the big debate was always you know you know can i be on the cover versus can we just put some artwork on the cover and it was a you know big no no or you know a lot of debate around that i think it'd be cool actually with both of you here to walk through that process so you have a new artist what is it is it really uh I don't want to say it used the word formulaic. That sounds bad, but I think a lot of it sometimes is based on some certain formulas. So you've got a new artist. They just finished the album. They submitted the songs. These are the songs. You've got to package it. What's question number one? Uh, well, for me, it would always start with the artist and asking them, okay, how do you, how do you, you created this, how do you see it translating? And then that same conversation would happen with a manager. And then the same conversation would happen with the marketing and the promotion teams at the label. All independently of each other or in the same at room? At first, yeah. I mean, I, I used to joke, like I, I was a lot of times like a, like a page running between the, the White House and the Congress, <laughs> and, you know, trying to like get all the information to like put it all together. But uh, the, uh, you know, you then take all of those conversations and then kind of report back to everyone to say, here's kind of what everybody's saying. Then in turn, we would take that, at least the way I worked it, and, and we would then go present to prospective photographers. Uh, and in, in some cases back then, the designers. I mean, a lot of times you were farming out to designers to do the design work. And then uh, later on, I mean, like we're just – we're literally getting the photos and designing it almost real time now today because uh, there's usually an urgency or a demand. Um, but then once that's presented back to the photographers and everything, like I would want them to weigh in as well because they're a photographer or they're a director. And so it's like, okay, well, what do you, when you hear this song, you know, regardless of what anybody thinks or what anybody's opinion is, like, where do you think it should go? Because you're trying to maintain the sanctity of that art so that it can be, you know, it can, it can come out as, as it needs to, you know, unfiltered and just, uh, in a pure creative sense. I love that phrase, the sanctity of that art. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. I just, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Trademark it. Trademark it now. <laughs> Scott McDaniel, 2017. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, but, uh, and, and I mean, I'll let Alan's weigh in on the, on like the photography standpoint of it, because I mean, we, we actually had this, we actually had several great experiences, believe it or not, Alan and I did several shoots, uh, for new artists. One particular I can remember to think of, we're both nodding our heads, smiling, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, uh, let him, let him weigh in on that a little bit. And then, then we can get to like how it all gets finished out. Well, I mean, that's usually what, and, and I know this probably happens to a lot of artists, not just me, but, you know, you, you ask to hear the music and you get a, you know, hey, here's a track. And it used to be, this is a single, and now they call it focus tracks, and there's different names for it. But they end up inevitably emailing you something, 
and you listen to it and you kind of just like, you know, this has a lot of energy in it and, and I could see, you know, this age group, you know, liking it. And so you kind of start tuning in, uh, the more you hear, the more information you get. And, and then, you know, and then we would also, you know, I'd ask, you know, what is it, what are people talking about? You know, and that's the, the people that you had to go between like the page. And then we would just kind of go, well, then that, you know, then that's, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that, you know, it needs to happen here. It needs to be this, you know, it needs to have some energy. Maybe there's some action shots jumping around or something like that. You know, that's, I mean, especially with momentum, that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. in fact, uh, wasn't there a shot of Toby jumping? Yeah. And he really jumped that high. That's kind of blew us all away when we were, t- when we were getting that shot. It was like, Whoa, dude, you got some serious air yeah. <laughs> in How that did- image. How did you decide whether to go to a photographer and say, this is what we're looking for or go to a photographer and go, okay, I'm going to have the discipline to not rub my mouth at all as far as what my vision is. Cause I don't want to taint what he might come up with or what she might come up with. Yeah. Great, great question. Uh, a lot of times it was more, well, my, my approach was always to set up a photographer for success. So, like, I would give them, like, the fundamental basics of, like, we're looking to do six to seven setups. We're going to look to do exterior, you know, but I'm not dictating, like, what the exterior is. Or here's the, you know, uh, type of lighting scenario we're looking for, but not dictating. Like, it's it's a weird thing of, like being completely vague and specific at the same time, (laughs) but, but wanting them to then have the freedom and objectivity to experience it for themselves. Because if I were to just spit out, like, this is exactly what we're looking for. And this artist is going to be in a circus tent and they're going to be next to blah, blah, blah. Then it's like, then you've already kind of created it for another creative and you're not giving them the freedom and the opportunity to weigh in. Uh, And I would rather them have a chance to hear it all. And then, let's talk about it because that's like, you know, ideas, pushing ideas, art, pushing art. So, um, that's how I would approach it. A lot of times though, like with certain artists, they're like, um, uh, you know, I think about like Carrie Underwood's, uh, blown away record. I mean, she was definitely influenced by wizard of Oz and, and that whole thing. And so she came in with a very specific idea of, I want to, have inferences of this, but I don't want to just recreate like the Wizard of Oz. And she had pulled, you know, reference sheets and different shoots and 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 shots that she found, which helped then ultimately the photographer, in that case, Randy St. Nicholas, uh, kind of take that feedback and the collective feedback from everybody and and create a look that became representative of that that particular album. Uh, so um, that, it's that's definitely a trick to try and not you know, not, not steered in such a way that you're, you know, kind of dictating what it should be, but allowing everybody to use their gifts to kind of push the art further. And, and my experience is when you do that, then, then usually you come up with a great idea or somebody, somebody's, somebody will throw something out there. And then before you know it, someone else is adding another layer to the cake. And then before you know it at the end, at the end result, you're like, wow, that's really different. Or that really stands apart, you know? Well, you know, planning for chaos is sounds crazy, but that's kind of what I would do was, you know, take all the suggestions, information, tear sheets, Pinterest now, you know, that type of stuff. And just, and then also save a little window, a little one hour, two hour window for chaos. Just something that, you know, that's absolutely not on the plan, not in the uh, forecast for any of that and just see what happens. And that actually will, and sometimes you can really come up with some magical stuff in that moment. Yeah. Without question. Without question. It sounds like you've always been in an environment where you're surrounded by collaboration. Is that true? 
No, not necessarily. A lot of times you have to create that collaboration, um, which is, I think, important for creatives. I think uh, creatives, one of the things I've noticed through the years is that uh, not just in myself, but in working with other creatives is that creatives need one another. They need to be able to bounce ideas off someone else and go, am I crazy for thinking this? Or is this really a great idea? Um, so if there's someone out there listening who's like, oh, maybe they're using the excuse of I'm an introvert or you know, what I'm doing is just me and my cabin on my laptop or with me and my canvas, would you, would you still give some pushback to them if they're listening, thinking, no, I don't need to collaborate? Yeah, maybe, but I also, I know there are artists that work, that their best work is done individually because it is a very, you know, you're, you're giving of yourself, you know, it's that, um, you know, Meraki, if you will, of, you know, you're like, you're putting a piece of your soul and, and, and art and, and the art that you're creating. So I wouldn't necessarily dissuade them from that. Uh, I think if anything, I would, um, I guess, you know, setting up this hypothetical situation, you know, um, <laughs> there, there are other people outside of the log cabin that you're in you know, <laughs> that, that might, uh, that might help you, I think, work through the, the creative problem solving that you're trying to get through and maybe give you a different perspective that would help you push your art further. If, that if you weren't in those dialogues and you weren't having those conversations, you might end up with something that's just, you know, not you're, you're, you yourself are not quite happy with. Or another thing that I think creatives fight with all the time is uh, the, you know, analysis paralysis where they just, they were processors, right? You know, creatives are processors. And so we constantly are like, it's like the, the, the color, color wheel is spinning, you know, all the time. And uh, we need other people to kind of like hit the pause button and go, hey, just it's okay to like reset for a second here and think and um, rethink what you're, you know, what you're creating or what you're working on and uh, and speak into it and maybe just give some encouragement. You know, I mean, it's a lonely it's a lonely road uh, as as a um, you know creatives that, that creatives walk, and I think it's good for them to. Uh, you know, I think for all of us to be in a circle of people that we can kind of bounce art ideas off of and talk talk through art with to try and figure out how we can best, you know, execute the idea we're trying to work on. Sure. One of the things I keep thinking about when I hear all these different projects you've worked on is I, I just want to ask you about budgets because I feel like you've probably always had them. Yeah. And you've always been working on projects where people are coming to you going, we need something amazing and you got to do it for this much. Mm -hmm. And you've been in jobs where sometimes those budgets have been really small and sometimes they've been really big, maybe the size of the artist or how successful they are, or the size of the label. What have you learned about budgets and their constraints and how, what has it taught you about creativity in general? It's a hurdle if you want it to be a hurdle. You know, it's um, it's a challenge if you want it to be a challenge. You got to, I think, get past that and not ask the question about what the budget is or who the director is or who the photographer is. It's what's the idea? What's the story you're trying to tell? And then does that story or that idea need the budget to compensate for it? I mean, one of the most, um, you know, uh, videos I love to celebrate that um, you know that took place while I was at Sony. Uh, one of our creative directors, Tracy Fleener, uh, she worked with Miranda Lambert on this video that Chris Hickey directed, um, and uh, you know for White Liar. And and I'll never forget that they thought the budget was one thing, and then you know it's like no, nah, we only spent this, and they were just like floored. But it was like we didn't need the money to pull off this idea. The idea was so simple and straightforward that there wasn't really a need to spend a lot of money. Um, hmm. but then there were other videos where it was like, 
Man, no, we we really like we're on an island and we need <laughs> we need a helicopter shot and you know it's like a drone's not going to cut it. You know, you've got to there there does come a time and place when you have to spend the money. Like there there's the there's the beauty and the creativity of using a um, a grocery shopping cart as your you know um, dolly, <laughs> but then there's this yeah, but then there's this also uh, you know a need a time and place to use the proper gear and equipment that's that's needed to tell to tell the story so um it's interesting because i've had the opportunity to just like what you said work on videos with a same artist literally where one video was five grand and then one video was 500 grand literally and you're like you know, sure, one production value may look a little better, but there's something special about that little five grand video that just has heart that, you know, maybe maybe the one that had all the, the money in the world just didn't have. So to me, budgets are, it's one of those things that it, it is a necessary evil. You have to, I mean, at some point, everybody has to be paid fairly. Everybody has to be treated fairly. You know, you can't ask anybody to work for free. Um, but if somebody wants to do something out of a passion project or they want to just, they, they feel like removed to do something, well then, yeah, let's, let's figure out how we can do it. And if it's, you know, if it, if it needs money, we'll put it towards it. That's been, that's, I've been fortunate that I've been in companies that shared that sort of mindset, uh, to, to do it, what was needed. And it wasn't just about, well, the budget's got to be this. I mean, I have had those conversations where like, man, the budget's got to be $150,000. I'm like, why? What's, what's the story? Let's get the, let's get to the idea first. And then if we need to spend 150, then we can do it. So is the budget usually introduced before the idea or is there, is there a brainstorming process? And then we go, okay, if this is the idea we're going to go down, let's go budget this out and figure out what it's going to take. It's been both. I think on a commercial major label side of things, the budgets are kind of set because the budgets come out of what your marketing, your marketing spend is going to be based on a projection of what the album is going to sell. So in some regards, it starts out with, okay, we kind of have an idea that we're going to spend about X number of dollars. But a lot of times you have an artist come in and go, you know, the record is this. And so for the video, I want to do this. And, and it's like, okay, well, great. You know, so we don't have to, maybe we don't spend a lot of money on the first video. Maybe we spend more money on the second or the third video. Cause that's the one that's really going to need to, you know, need the juice. So, yeah. Now that you've stepped outside of, you're still serving the music industry in your current role, but you're stepped outside of working directly within the music industry. Now from the outside looking in, creatively what do you what do you feel like the industry needs wow <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a loaded question or unfair yeah i think in some regards it's uh, continuing to do what you do it's continuing to to you know be about creating the best music in the world you know that moves people um and that uh you know tells the story that you want to that you want to tell the lifestyle that you want to talk about or the the um you know, um, you know, the world that we all live in, um, in some regards, I think the music industry is, it's, it's going through it on its own. It's kind of like, it's like experiencing it real time with the, the advent of streaming and that whole component to, you know, what I think it went through several years ago, going from physical packaging and physical music to digital music and digital packaging, and then going to, um, now the streaming process. So it's like they're on, you know, everybody's kind of learning real time. And, and in a way it's very exciting because it's kind of like pioneering days. You know, you kind of can create new, new, uh, avenues and things that you can chase and do that maybe you didn't get a chance to do before. Um, but I think in some regards, it's like, keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's like, don't, don't settle for, 
uh, you know, second best and, and keep pushing the art and keep, you know, but that's, that's what musicians do. I mean, they, you know, I mean, Michael Jackson pulled from Elvis and, you know, and, and, you know, there's artists now that are pulling from Michael Jackson and like, everybody's kind of like building off of one another and growing. And it's like, man, just, just keep doing that, I guess. Yeah. What would you say to all of the young, new creative people out there? They're like, man, I want to, I want to have the career path that he has had. They're still in art school. It's their senior year. They don't have that guy to sit down and talk about the empty chairs with them. Yeah. What would you say to them? To just continue to be a sponge and continue to learn and continue to make yourself ready for the opportunity because it will come. There's no doubt in my mind, you know, in in life we are given so many opportunities. And uh, the question is really, have you made yourself ready for that? And um, and if you uh, apply yourself and you do your homework – and you, uh, and you, you, you know, um, that whole adage of, you know, fake it till you make it or whatever. It's like, <laughs> no, that, that will only take you so far. Um, you've got to apply yourself and do the work. And when the opportunity comes and you'll get a chance to, you know, sit in the chair and do, and do the things that you've dreamed of doing, you know, and in some, in some cases, even create new chairs that don't even exist, you know, to, uh, to do what you want to do or what you feel called to do. So we have a creative community that listens to this podcast and a lot of them get hired to do, you know, some of the things that we're talking about. And if, you know, it's just hard for us to know, like what still works, what works as far as promotion or how, you know, how do they promote themselves and what, what can they do to do that? Like if it's uh, you know, a postcard or just, you know, PDF portfolio, an email, any of those type of marketing pieces, like what, what were some things that like that really worked for you that when somebody was trying to get in your face and, you know, Hey, I want to be on the list. Um, what, what type of things did you feel like that worked? What was something that you liked or someone that impressed you or something that you wanted to work with based on just how they presented themselves to you? Well, I'm odd in the sense that I looked at anything and everything. So I answered my phone. I answered every email. Still do. I mean, like, I, you know, I'm just, I'm constantly looking for I thought I was special, for, Scott. Yeah, I was constantly looking <laughs> Talk for Talk to it. everybody. It wasn't just me calling. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like, like anybody else looking for something that's new or different that will catch your eye. I mean, we all do that. Um it's it works on all fronts i think um i've had i've had in fact one of the first jobs i ever got i just walked in the door i didn't have an appointment or anything you know so i think that that face-to-face community i mean i've I've actually encouraged photographers before i'm like you should just go to a coffee shop buy some coffee show up unannounced and just say hey i was in the neighborhood wanted to bring you some coffee just to say hey than a facebook friend request yeah (laughs) just just a little or a mass email yeah yeah, yeah, because on social media, I was definitely and still am kind of a, a strange old hermit that lives out by the Dune Sea. <laughs> <laughs> that was for all you Star Wars fans. Out there. <laughs> totally get that one. Um, but uh, but you know, I you know, so there there is something to be said about connecting that way, um, and you know, um, you know, at the same time though. Um, people that are hiring artists or hiring creatives, they want to see what you've done. So I think it's always important to, however you feel it is best to represent what you have created. If that's a physical manual printed portfolio, if that's a Blu-ray that's got your music videos on it, or if it's a link that, you know, you can click to, to watch whatever you've created or demonstrate, or, um, you know, I've had, um, 
printmakers and designers actually show their artwork on like certain types of paper because they want you to experience what that that feeling is so you know okay well this is who they are and this is who they create i think what i was always looking for was what answers the questions and how have they crafted their their art you know because really art is subjective as we all know uh the only way it's really judged in and it can be in put into any sort of objective category is how it's crafted you know everybody can look at jackson pollock's paintings and say oh i can i can do splatter paint like that's not a big deal but the whole reason that that movement started and that jackson started doing that was because he was literally trying to paint without his paintbrush touching the canvas and so and he did it you know 50 years before anybody was even thinking about that so that's why his work is kind of held at a higher regard because and how it's judged i mean subjectively i mean i would put it up against anything that we would create um but that's that's how you that's how you can look at artwork and go okay this this photographer had this subject in this lighting scenario and why did that happen you know why did the photographer allow that to happen maybe they were forced but if they were forced how did they solve it how did they create i'm looking at that that sort of stuff um directors okay i, I know that this Watching this video, this video budget was probably 30 grand, 40 grand. What'd they do with it? Like, really, where did they spend the money? I can see that they pocketed about 10 grand of it because they only did this, 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 and this. So in that, in that regard, it's like you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're looking at how you people can see have crafted. that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can definitely see it, man. No doubt. I mean, you know, because we all know what makes, we all know the difference between a good video and a great music video. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we all, we all know that, you know. Um, I don't, I don't know that we all do. Mm -hmm. So really? help us understand what's the difference between a good video and a great video. Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, when you, when, when you watch a music video, for example, and it, it encaptures what the song is and takes it to a different place, maybe that you weren't even thinking about. And it's done with excellence and there's no issues with like, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like, uh, um, consistency errors where like the you know person's wearing a different shirt or you know whatever that the, the stuff that will throw your eye and make you go oh come on you know you guys know better than that you know um you know i mean we all we all know what a great video is i think in that regard when you when you watch something and it moves you and it, it you know it's like uh i guess i guess maybe the best way to answer that question is is you know would you think johnny cash's hurt music video is a great video I mean, maybe that's the way to answer that question. So maybe as, as I'm, I'm processing out loud. So know? maybe we know a great video when we see it, and we know it's not good when we experience it. But I don't know that we can all articulate what made it great. great. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Totally agree. Totally agree. I, having made them, I, I always think it's connection, and that I didn't notice anything. Mm -hmm. In other words, I, I connected with it, but I didn't notice any things like you were talking about, the consistency or something that just stuck its head out. Or an edit that jarred yeah. you and you're like, that was weird. Or the yeah. sync was off of the lip sync or something like that. Yeah. Can you, make, can you make a great music video off of an average song? Sure. I've seen that happen. I've really? part of a few of those. Does it make, <laughs> does it make the song above average because it has a great video? Yeah. I mean, there are songs that I heard that, you know, that you're like, Ah, it's a pretty good song and then you see the video and you're like man i love that song now like it just helped kind of breathe life into it 
you know, in, in a different way. But that's, I think I'm partial to that only because I'm a visual person, you know. Um, there's probably other people that would say, you know, um, the video ruined that song for me. The song was this, and I thought the song was great until they did that, you know, lame video for it or whatever. Yeah. Oh, man, I could talk to you for hours about so much. We're going to have to do this again and hang out some more. Uh, but in closing, for this particular sitting, any any closing words or advice for other storytellers out there listening? I, I mean, I think probably just even as I, as I started, you know, trying to, you know, if you're going to have an idea deliver like if you're if you're going to throw it out there then the best ones that are actually executed are the ones that are done you know versus just talked about so, so what is it that keeps artists from executing and that's a long litany of list of things man it can be self self-inflicted it can be um you know limitations that are put on them uh, whether it's by themselves or other people, uh, it's maybe just uh, lack of belief in oneself. I mean, we're all our own worst critic, you know. Um, we all think that our art just is not good enough, and um, you know, it it actually really is, you know. Um, but you know, having, having trying to get to that point where you can have that conversation and and help someone look past whatever the challenges are, the limitations are, to see it as a as an opportunity, like as a, like as another creative opportunity to even like push the idea further. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough one, man. Cause it's like, there's nothing worse than, um, you know, wasted potential, you know, and not being able to, you know, um, see something come to life that you really believe in or that you have a heart for. I love Scott so much. He has such a kind, gentle spirit about him. I came to the realization by the end of our short hour together that in many ways he has spent much of his career as a sort of shepherd to so many artists and creators. As a veteran storyteller who has creatively led the way on hundreds of projects, Scott could only produce the kind of work he has by taking great care of the artists he was collaborating with. As artists, so much of our work comes out of a place deep within our souls. And we can only do great work if our minds and hearts are healthy and in a good place. I immediately got a sense that Scott is the kind of guy whose cares and concerns go far beyond the work. You can tell he cares deeply about the artists helping him do that creative work. My hope is that we as the story community continue to collaborate on doing meaningful work around the world and that we deeply care about each other along the way. And there's enough divisiveness in our culture already. We need each other. Thank you for being a part of our community of change makers and do-gooders. It's an honor to do everything we can here at Story to keep you inspired, to keep doing your best, most meaningful work. And if there's anything we can do to do that better, please don't hesitate to reach out. Until then, thank you so much for listening. To get additional creative inspiration, visit storygatherings.com slash podcast. This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.